Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. Due to the coronavirus crisis, we're holding church services online until further notice, and we encourage you to join us. For info and updates, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at New Life SoCo and visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's an encouraging word. So, uh, as you heard Pastor Marco say, uh, I'm here. That's either good or bad, right? I'm blessed. I love coming. Uh, I haven't been in a little bit, except I sneak off here every once in a while, and I kind of hide incognito, uh, whatever my church lets me get away. I love you guys. I love being here. I love my city. I love the church. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I'm all excited, and I got to kind of reel it back in now, because worship gets me going, and I get like, you know... I don't want to be 100 miles an hour. I want to be fast, though. I want to get into this. I want my zeal to come through. I want, to see the, I want the fire of God to, to be contagious in this room today. Amen? Amen. That's what has to happen. That's what has to happen. It's my man right there. So, so today's message is titled Upward, Inward, and Outward. Upward, inward, and outward. And, and this came, this is actually our church's, one of our taglines. You know, we're still trying to figure that out, but. We have these shirts, and it has these arrows, upward, inward, outward, and, and people, it's, it's a good conversation piece, because when people ask me, what's those arrows all about, I get to explain this. I get to explain how the Christian life, the life of a Christ follower, begins first with an upward calling, an upward relationship, and then something happens inwardly, where we're changed and transformed, and sanctification starts to happen. And then outwardly, people start to, to uh, reap the reward because of the fruit of that inward change. So I'm going to preach that out for you today. But I want to talk about unity first. I want to talk about, there's, there's this quote by A.W. Tozer that I really love, and I use it quite often. Because I think a lot of the times as a church, again, this is just the church as a whole, what we can do is we, we can forget you know, who we're supposed to be tuned to. And so we can actually um, live a life of comparison. You know, we might like try to say, hey, you know, Mike over there is real holy and he looks like a pretty good church, religious church guy. So I'm going to act like him a little bit more. I'm going to try to be more like Mike. Isn't that a slogan? But see, what ends up happening is it's not that Mike's a bad guy. Mike's in a sanctification process too. And so if all I ever did was aspire to be like Mike, well, you know, that would be the limit. You know, God has called us, it says in Romans 8, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus. You know, that's a tall order. Some of you really understand what I mean by that. You know, but... It says with God all things are possible. It says that he is, he's given us his spirit. We have his word. And so we, the power of God is there at our, our access. And so if we tune ourselves appropriately, then guess what? We become more united as a church and more holy and more Christ-like as a church if we're tuned to the right fork. So the quote by A.W. Tozer, before I ruin it, It says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers, 
met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they, were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Isn't that good? Yeah. You know, so while we're worshiping, right, while I was singing, you know, I'm not looking around at anybody else. I'm looking at the cross. I'm looking at the lyrics. I'm making them my prayers and my praise. And I'm just begging God, make me more like Jesus. I'm not worried about what I look like or how I sound because I'm not a very good singer. You know, but, but in that moment where we turn and tune ourselves to that fork, Jesus, we become so united. And there's all these churches all over the world today who are singing the same praises, who are singing to the same Savior, worshiping the same Savior, and we're more united together. It's not about what hangs over the door. It's what sits and rests in our hearts. Amen? So it's imperative that we, as Christ followers, understand that God has given us this fork to tune to, if you will. The Bible. The inspired word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God-breathed. Inspired by God. Right, and, and this is a common argument I get with people, especially unbelievers or new believers. They say, yeah, but wasn't the Bible written by men? Sure. But what I also say is, is that while men held the pen, God held their heart. Because it's God-inspired. Nothing, not a jot, was written down without His authority. Nothing has been sustained longer. No book has sold more copies in the Bible. It's our authority. It's our guide. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Some of you have heard that. Right? It's important that we understand and align ourselves with this and tune to these forks that he's giving us so that way we can be united as a church. Once we accept and understand that, that that's our standard and Jesus is the living word, then we begin to clearly see what, is the, what the Lord expects from us. I had just had a talk with, uh, with my brother Fernando upstairs as we were getting ready, and I didn't go over my notes, so I might be terrible in the first service, just so you know. But we had a really good conversation about, you know, what it means to be in faith it is directly related to and cannot exist without obedience. Faith and obedience, like when our sister's talking about tithing and how it's an act of worship and how everything comes from the Lord anyways. You know, we, we get these comfort bubbles that we live in. And we, we try to just say, yeah, no, I'll do everything the Lord says within this little comfort bubble. And then all we ever ex experience is this comfortable thing, this comfortable life. But we don't ever step out of that bubble and live in obedience and faith. And you know what happens when, that, when we don't do that? We never experience the power and the miracles that God has waiting for us. You know, what a fear I have of going and standing before the Lord one day and saying, look at all you missed. Look at all that you missed. I had all this for you. Amen? So, in John 3, we read about a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who snuck off in the night to meet the God-man, Jesus. <clears throat> Nicodemus recognizes Jesus as a teacher who's sent by God. But Jesus goes on to tell him he's so much more than that and that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. 
This is where we get that familiar term, bo term born-again Christian, which is actually a redundant term, if you think about it. You're either born-again or you're a Christian, but if you're a born-again, born-again, or a Christian, Christian, that's really what that's saying, because a Christian is born-again. I've never understood that. I'm just letting you know. We like that, though. So essentially what Jesus is saying, that is in order to even begin a walk with God, there must be a confession of faith in him. And so, you know, when I visit other churches, and I have such a cool job, I get to go all over the place. I do. And you know the one thing I, and people, my wife would say, what are you going to preach on? I say, the gospel. Just preach the gospel. You know, Christ and him crucified. Because at the end of the day, that's the language. That's the message of the church. And, and you know, it doesn't matter if you're a first day church visitor or you're listening online for the first time. It doesn't matter if you've been coming for 30, 40, 50 years. You need to hear the gospel. You need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. My, my, my favorite professor, one of the things he said to me, he says, you know why we preach the gospel so much? And I says, so people get saved, right? Because that's the obvious answer. He says, yeah, good, good. Gold star. He says, because we need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it. He says, don't ever forget where you came from. He goes, a grateful heart is cultivated. And so as soon as we slip away from gratitude, as soon as we forget the saving power of the gospel, you know what? It's all about us. Complacency and religion take over. So in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He goes on to say, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This message, this is the gospel. So, um, <clears throat> the gospel, as Charles Spurgeon says, is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. And so that's what I'll do here this morning. It takes a lot of the onus off of me, a lot of the pressure off of me. Everybody's like, why are you so calm, cool? I was like, because it's not my message. <laughs> the power of God lies in the gospel, not the power of Jamie. Right? And so whenever we're sharing, because we're all called to be ministers of reconciliation, we're all called to share the gospel and to be and to make disciples, right? So all we need to do is know this message and then let the power of God do what the power of God's going to do. We don't need to win a debate. We don't need to win people over with fancy words. We don't need to be Jesus' PR people or salespeople. All we need to do is know his message, know his life, read his word, share that with people, and then let him bring people to the cross. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about upward. Let's talk about upward. Upward or the ultimate effect. See, I thought it very fitting since uh, the, the first point today was going to be upward to share the gospel by walking you all down what's called the Roman road to salvation. Some of you have heard this before. Paul spells it out in his letter to the church in Rome. And so there's four signposts on that road. And it's a really good way for all of us to remember the power and the words of the gospel. So the first one is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. is the key phrase, the key word rather. Right? All. It doesn't matter how good you are. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the common ground that every single person that's ever lived and ever lives now and ever will live has. 
aside from Jesus himself. We all sin. And so it goes on further to say in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who's done good. There is not even one. Ooh. Paul's just tough. But what about all those good things I did? That old lady I helped cross the street. And all those times I gave at church or um, all the times I showed up at church. How about all the times I didn't lie? Paul says, you haven't done anything good. You know, because the truth of the matter is, is that without Christ, apart from Christ, and before we know Christ, everything's done for self. It's all pride. It's all for self-image. It's all for praise and accolade and recognition. You know, we do it for us with a selfish motive. It's, you know, yeah, no, I love my mom. I do these things for, yeah, I hear that. But we're not as unconditional as we believe we are. And we don't realize that until we realize God's unconditional love. Amen? That's when we really start to understand what unconditional means. Because then he starts to flip over all those little stones in our lives that we haven't been brave enough to, to kind of take a look at. And you start to go, ooh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Even, you know, I, I think even that little peanut you stole from Shaw's and you were like five and stuck in your pocket. You know what I'm like all those little things start coming up. You start to realize, yeah, all have sin. We're all imperfect. And then it goes on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, to say that the wages, this is our second signpost, by the way, it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? But let's not jump to the second part of that verse. Let's look at the first. Because it's not good news until you know the bad news. Amen? So if the wages of sin is death, well, what does he mean? Well, biblical death is, is this eternal destruction apart from the love and presence of God. And so, you know, it may be all good right now. We maybe think we're eking out our existence and I'm just fine. But because we haven't experienced eternity doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And eternal torment doesn't exist. And that's a scary fact. You know, there's a lot of preachers that won't preach hell. But, you know, hell is so important to know because when we understand that there's a hell, we can really appreciate the heaven. Right? So, wages of sin is death. So if all of us have sinned, then all of us are called to pay that price of death. Ouch. Come on, Paul, when's the good news? The good news is, is that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, my favorite Bible verse, if I have one, is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, once you got right, I died for you. He didn't say, because you started coming to church, I died for you. He didn't say, because you did all these good things, I died for you. He said, while you were still a sinner, I died for you. That's good news. Think about that. You know, we have this mentality. It's like uh, we have to get right before we go to church. Anybody ever say that? 
Oh, I can't go there. The place will burn down. I used to say that all the time. Nice little cop-out we all have. Guess what? All these churches are still standing, and every sinner that's walked through the door is just as bad as you are. It's like saying, I'm going to get in shape before I go to the gym, you know? Hold on, let me get, get my reps up. And my, yeah, I could use that. I got my quarantine body. Anybody else? Everybody's good? Good. Yeah, it's bad. Whew. Anyways, back to the message. Third signpost. Third signpost. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, where's the other stuff? Hold on. I thought you had to come to church every Sunday. I thought you had to give so much and do so many good deeds. I thought you had to get all of these sacraments. No offense to anybody A little bit. <laughs> Romans chapter 10 goes on to say, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who can call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. Whoever. There's no distinction, he says, between race or creed or background, where you came from, how rich you are. It doesn't matter. The gospel's bigger than that, people. Let's stop making it so small. Let's stop getting caught up in things that are less important. Let's start making it all about Jesus. And let's remember this. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith, which is a gift from God, not by work so that no man can boast. None of us can take credit for our salvation. Not one of us, because it's by God's grace that we've been saved. It's by God's grace we even have faith. It's by God's grace we're even sitting here today. It's by God's grace alone. Unmerited favor. And so we sit here, recipients, rewarded for doing nothing good. <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? But yet, the grace of God still Pursues us. That's good, right? <clears throat> and then the fourth signpost. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. Not by anything else. Faith alone saves. Remember that. Some of us are sitting here thinking, I need to do more. I need to be busier. And you're struggling with sin, and you think, well, it's maybe because I'm not going to church enough. It's maybe because I'm not doing enough. Maybe. Maybe it has to do with the fellowship, though, of church. Maybe it has to do with us not being tied in to the body or the word or in prayer. Because that's usually it. That's what it is. It's not about more religious acts. It's not about busyness. 
Romans 8, verses 38 through 39. I read this every time I do a funeral to remind everybody, because funerals are for the living, you know that, right? Funerals are for the living. And we need to remind everybody who's standing over that open grave while they still have breath and they still have a beat in their chest that once they turn to Christ, that once they are God's, it says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know? How about I just say this? No matter how bad you screw up and no matter what comes up against you in this life, if you are Jesus's, you are Jesus's, period. Amen? Let's stop striving for perfection and start striving for Christ. Right? Holiness. She said it meant set apart. Set apart. Let's stop fitting in with the world and start standing up for Christ. Right? We're in this world. We're not of it. We're just passing through. We're messengers. If that were the case, he would have brought us home the moment we professed our faith. But no, instead, what does he do? He leaves us here. Why, Jesus? Because everybody needs to hear this gospel. Because we're now ambassadors for Christ. We're now ministers of reconciliation. We're now called to be the hands and feet of Christ. That was his final marching orders in Matthew 28. Right? He's about to ascend. It's his final words to his disciples and his followers. And he says to them, it's like, you know, they're all waiting. Like, what's next? What do we do? He says, go. He says, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I taught you. You're my plan A and there is no plan B. We forget that a lot, don't we? We forget that. You know, it was the other conversation we were having upstairs. You know, everybody, what everybody thought was so bad, all this shutdown for the last few months, God has done amazing things with. You know how many people have come to know him through this? How, many, how fear... And hopelessness are the things that God uses. Everybody thinks God's just only good and only... God uses everything, man. He uses talking donkeys. He uses burning bushes. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. Make fun. But the point is, he uses anything and everything to draw people to him. And so if we're not shining bright, if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not living this thing out, Where's the presence of God on earth? Us. Don't, don't look at the next person and say, oh, Pastor Marco's going to do it. You know, Aaron's going to do it. So-and-so's going to do it. No, we're going to do it. We're in this together. We are the bride, the body of Jesus Christ. Whether you walked in here for the first time today or you've been doing this for a long time, God's going to use you. God will use you. You need to let him. Get out of the way. Amen. So I just shared the gospel, right? And hopefully someone heard that today for the first time and they make a decision for Jesus, right? That they know that they are a sinner, that they fall short of the glory of God, that they know that they've been separated from him and they've been looking for that hope. And they heard that no matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, that Christ died for them. And so now, after this, 
You know, this entire point of the gospel is to, to reconcile this severed relationship between us and God. Who needed to hear that today? Who needed to hear that today? Right? And if that's your first time hearing it or thinking about it, you know, sometimes we hear a message a thousand times. You know, but it's that one time we needed to hear it. It's that one time where God just all of a sudden drives it home. And so I pray that if it's your first time hearing it, listening to it, that you would make a decision, make that next step towards Jesus. I want to quote my pastor for a minute. He said this once, and I'll give him a little bit of credit for it, because sometimes he says cool stuff. We go way back. We bust each other's chops, so it's okay. But he says one day from the pulpit, and it just came out in definitely Holy Spirit, but it says, we don't surrender to be done, we surrender to begin. And I thought, man, of all the messages he's preached, and he's a good preacher, that was probably the most poignant thing that he ever said to me or to us that has resonated with me now for years. We don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. And a lot of times, you know, the world's mentality is, is, is surrender is giving up. It's giving in. We're done. But in, in, the, in the upside down kingdom, When we surrender to Christ, it begins. Life begins. And so this gospel message, when we we accept Christ into our hearts, that's not it. It's not just, okay, now you're part of the club and you come to church every Sunday. That's not it. Your life with Christ begins. Your life begins. Man, next month. So I went to church for like 10, 11 years and tried to conform with religion and failed miserably. Anybody else have that problem? Yeah. And I remember like showing up all messed up and living messed up. And I, and, and I would sit there and look at all these shiny plastic Christians and go, boy, I'll never fit in here. I'll never be like Mike. Sorry, I'm just going to pick on Mike all day. And God, in his grace, in his mercy, because he knew how stubborn I was and how foolish I was, he pursued me, and he poured out his grace through hardship, through loss, through tragedy. And a lot of times we don't understand that, that God's prescribed grace can be really a really hard pill to swallow. It levels us. It reduces us to the level of humility we need to be at in order to invite him in or fully accept him as our Lord and Savior. So some of us, we stand there with puffed up chests and we go to church every Sunday and we say, see, I'm doing good things, honey. That was me, that's why I'm saying that. But the reality is, is that we're never surrendered. We've never even begun that life in Christ. We're literally just spectators, bystanders, sitting in the bleachers watching the game. And so what happens is, is if, if he loves us, as he says it, as the word says he does, he pours out his grace through various ways. And everyone's different. That prescription's different for everybody. Mine came through a battle with drugs and alcohol, total loss, family, home, kids, the whole nine, you name it. 
I'm that research monkey that did it all, you know, not proud of it. But what I am proud of is, is that at the moment where I needed him most, he was right there. So for that first 10, 11 years, I'm a very slow learner. I literally just couldn't do it. And I got frustrated. But then, but God. Don't you love that? But God, it's like the best. It's this little contraction, that, that, that this little phrase in, in Scripture that always says something great's about to happen. But God, who's rich in mercy, you know, he called me to a place, and I spent a year in Teen Challenge and, and, and lost everything. But all I had was him. All I had was him at that point. And he introduced me to himself, and he introduced me to myself. And I found out who I really was. And he wasn't pretty. I know I look good up here right now, but trust me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but next month will be 11 years since I came alive. Right? It's not crazy. It's like crazy. Why? I have no idea. So let's talk about this. In, in Philippians 1, 6, it says, he who began this good work will continue it until that day. He who began it will continue it until that day. We can put our trust in him. Takes a lot of the onus off us. See, all we have to do is trust and believe. Be obedient. Listen to Christ. Follow his statutes and his principles. And he's going to sanctify us. And he's going to complete this salvation work in us until that day, it says. That's what Paul says in Philippians. So then this inward work has to begin. And so it says, you know, once we have a, a true encounter with Jesus, when we realize God's grace, realize God's grace. Some of you know what I mean. Realize God's grace. What will, and I don't mean might happen, will happen next is an eternal, internal transformation. Some things are going to happen immediately. Like some of the obvious stuff are just going to, you know, you're going to stop killing people. You know? But other things are going to take a lot longer. Possibly and most likely in some cases the rest of your life. These strongholds and these struggles though don't mean that God doesn't love you or that you're not holy enough or that you're not righteous enough for God. That's not what this is. God is working these things out of us and he's using those things to perfect us. Amen? In Corinthians, it, Paul says, he says, now to the God of all comfort who comforts us in our trials so that we can comfort others who go through similar trials. So our testimonies and our struggles have value, redemptive value in the kingdom of God. And so we all need to embrace those things. You know what the worst thing we can do is we can stuff them down. We can pretend that they don't exist. We can lie about them or avoid them or not talk about them or not be accountable that's not discipleship, just so you know. He calls us to be disciples and to make disciples. What he means is, is he says, tie your lives so tightly to your brothers and your sisters in Christ so that all of these things can be worked out of you and you can become like me. And that only happens through transparency and vulnerability and honesty. And we talk and we use discernment. We don't tell everybody all our stuff because you know who those people are and you're like, I don't need to hear that. But use discernment. 
And, and, and really allow yourselves to be transformed by the Spirit of God. And you know what will happen? All those struggles that nag you every day that you're so worried about and that you've been praying about, and that once you stop bringing them to other people and you stop praying through them with other people, you know that they dissipate? All of a sudden you're like, hey, how come that's not bothering me so much anymore? Well, because you gave it to God. And that's what he's called us to do. That's what discipleship is. It's not about church attendance. Church is good. I know I've said that a few times, so don't hear me saying church is bad. It's great. But without discipleship, it's ineffective. We're looking for self-help if we're just coming to church and doing nothing else. We're not looking for Christ's help. We're not looking for true transformation. You know why there's so many self-help books written every year? Because they don't work. One Bible. Open it up. Trust in this inwardly that transformation will occur. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. The old things have passed. Behold, the new things have come. That's it. If you're in Christ, transformation's happening. He's making you new. Don't run from that. Embrace that. You may not like it at first. It may be scary at first, especially for us really prideful ones, you know, who think we're in control of everything, or we have this really cool image that we've been presenting to the world for the first 40 or 50 years. It gets a little scary. You feel a little naked at times. But there's nothing more beautiful than being who you are and who you were created to be in Christ. Embrace that. Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20 says, I will give them one heart, put a new spirit with them. I will take that heart of stone out of their flesh. I'll give them a heart of flesh, and they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. He will soften our hearts. He will remove that hardened heart if we let him. So when we come to faith in Jesus, we become one of God's children. We just sang all that, right? According to Ephesians 2.19, we're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're citizens along with all of God's holy people, and we're members of God's family. And this means we're privileged to all the rewards of God's people. And this begins with a new heart, a new spirit, and becoming a new creation. This is the inward change. This is the inward change. Justification is immediate and a one-time occurrence, just so you know. But sanctification is progressive and a lifelong process. And they're not mutually exclusive. One can't happen or doesn't happen without the other. Justification happens, sanctification happens. It may be longer. You may be an idiot like me who took 10, 11 years, and you may have to lose everything. But guess what? That's his promise. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, I press on towards the goal. Are we pressing on today? Ask yourself, are we pressing on towards that goal? So with that segue, I'm going to move to my last point, outward, because i got 19 minutes and 52 seconds. That's so cool, by the way. Guys, so much cool stuff here, I'm just going to say. Sorry. Squirrel, I always, you know, just anybody that's heard me preach before knows this about me, so it's nothing new. Outward. So we've had this upward sort of call. We've, we've had this encounter with Jesus and now there's this inward thing happening, and he's transforming us, and he's changing us, and we're new creations, and we're all excited. Now, he said, uh, preaching about when the honeymoon's over, 
There's that honeymoon period where we're really excited. Everybody knows that one, right? That, that's going to run out, just so you know. It's going to run out. Anybody that's been married knows that, too. No offense. I love my wife. I have a great marriage. But reality hits. Life is still here. Hardship still comes. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. Amen? Okay. But he's changing us. What do we do with this? Well, this is where the outward comes in. Charles Spurgeon says, Faith and works bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. James chapter 2 says this as well. Faith without works is a dead faith. Some of you are asking how or where can I get involved anywhere. Just do something. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just throw the gospel in your back pocket and carry it until your death. Some of the most tragic things that, that happen in this world are lives unlived. People who die long before they die. So I'm going to read a whole lot of scripture here because it needs to be heard. And then for the sake of time, I'm just going to reel it back to support the point. Okay, I just want you to bear with me. But it's in, it's in 1 John, it's chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into this world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sufficient substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, though, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We've been brought into that family. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. little redundant, I know. Trying to make a point, right? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Tons of important and convicting stuff in there, but what stands out most to me and for the sake of time is love. It's love. When we're born of God or born again, as I said earlier, then God's love is going to manifest in our lives. 
It's going to transform everything about us. Everything we do and how we see the world and how we see people, how we treat people, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, everything is going to be transformed because of the love of God. According to the scriptures, that the love of God is now in us, it's now going to change us and change everybody. The love of the church should change the world. My question, this is a little side tangent because I like those, is are you displaying the love of Christ in everything that you do? Do people know more about your political position or your Christ position? Because people need love more than to be right. They need righteousness over being right. Right? So if that love isn't present in your life today and you're a believer, then you may want to look at just how involved you are in the sanctification process that God has you in. How serious are you about living this out? Did you just come for a quick, quick sip from the well? Or do you want to drink deeply for the rest of your lives? Because if you just come for a quick sip, you'll get that. You'll sing some songs. You'll feel really good here. I mean, there's no way to sing these songs and to praise the Lord and not feel good. But when you walk out these doors, you'll be thirsty again soon. But when you drink deeply, the water that quenches and you'll never thirst again, Jesus said. It's a whole different animal. Christianity becomes alive. My life is proof of that. I told you, first 10, 11 years, sipping and sipping and sipping at my convenience. Always dying of thirst. And now I drink deeply from the well. And I'll tell you what, I am so imperfect, I am so flawed, and yet I am so at peace and so content and have such deep-rooted joy. And God's favor is on me. And I didn't deserve any of it. Drink deeply. Only God can know and judge a heart. So, oh, I or anyone else can't say what's going on in there. But if the fruit of God's love is not manifest in your life, then, it, then this should create a great urgency in your life right now. Not I'll get around to it, I'll deal with it later, but as I alluded to before, there's no way that you are continuing to pursue an intimate relationship with Jesus and allowing him to transform you internally if this outworking of love is absent from your daily life. So it's time to make this your number one priority. Today is the day. Today is the day. Not tomorrow, not later, not after you deal with this, not after you think about it a little bit. There's nothing to be th thought about at this point. You've all been thinking your whole lives. <laughs> Overthinking for the most part, right? Here's the answer. You're here. Here's the answer, the gospel. Here's the answer. Put Christ first. Drink deeply. Make this your number one priority. And here's my promise to you. And I said this earlier. I'm the research monkey. I tell you what. I did everything wrong. I did it my way. I did it how I thought it should be done. I created a character that I thought could survive this movie. Right? And I failed miserably. And not just in my failures was I a failure. <laughs> that makes any sense. But in my discontentment, my detachment... My dissatisfaction, all of these things, I was empty all the time. 
all the time. And yet we come to church and we know the gospel and we hear the truth and we've got this well to drink from and we still are empty because we're not jumping in. We think it's, it's missionaries and deacons and elders and pastors and those guys, those radical people. No, it's all of us that are called to drink deeply from the well of Jesus. And so all of us, it's, it's at, in our hands right here, right now, the opportunity to live in total freedom as we sing. And then he gives us all these gifts. And he gives us all these abilities. And some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You could do all these things your whole life, you know, but you exploited them. You used them for your own gain. You know, you made things happen, whether you were good at business and sales or, or lying, singing, whatever it was, teaching. We, we utilize those things for our own personal gain. But what ends up happening once there's an inward change and we're new creations and we fall in love with Jesus is we're called to reinvest those things back into the kingdom of God. Yeah. And when we do, amazing things happen. We fortify each other. This one body becomes stronger. And now we're not being unity conscious. We're Christ conscious. And we're building up the kingdom. And we're building up others. And we're rescuing people from death. We had to stop exploiting our gifts because that's what they are. Not just our financial provisions and resources, but all of the intangibles. Those are also from God. And those provisions are called to be tithed back. And so we need to understand that, and that's what part of this outward working is. is It says, whatever you do in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, do it for the glory of God. Everything. That may seem impossible, and I'll tell you what, if it's not possible to do, then you're doing the wrong thing. I learned that a long time ago. How do I, how do I glorify God watching this movie? <laughs> Maybe you're watching the wrong movie. How do you glorify God in this relationship? You're in the wrong relationship. How do I glorify God in this job? I'm in the wrong job. How do I glorify God in this or that? You're in the wrong place. Start doing it his way. And I'll tell you what, you put him first and you make him the priority of your life and all these other things that you've been pursuing or putting before him become better. They become better. Man, my daughters look at me like I'm a, an amazing dad and inside I know what a mess I am. But it's so amazing to see them after that first half when all my screw-ups, for them to look at me and say, I want a man like you, dad. There are moments like that in my life now that I, you can't put a, a number on that, a value on that. You know? My wife thinks she's married to an amazing guy. She's probably watching, that's why I said that. Just a little reminder. <clears throat> Sorry. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll leave you with this. <laughs> Not that, this. <laughs> the gospel is all about freedom. It's all about freedom. It's not about all the other stuff we've made it. And, and, and that's the problem. 
is we've made it all these other things that it isn't, and it's all about freedom. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom to become who we were meant to be. Freedom to experience life with joy and peace and contentment. Freedom to love as we were created to love. And freedom, regardless of how the world loves us back. Galatians 5, 13. It says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So brothers and sisters, my challenge for you all today is to commit yourselves to not only cultivating and focusing on these things, but also to leading others to do the same. And I think we've learned over the last few months that the church isn't a building It's a people. It's a people. A people loving and pursuing God together as we allow him to grow us individually and also as a community so that we in turn can love others in the process. Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.